As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Friday, July 8th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. On this episode, we will discuss the first part of the Futures game rosters that have been released. They're coming out eight players at a time right now. So we'll talk about the first eight players that we know are going to be a part of that game during the All-Star Weekend festivities. We'll talk about the Red Sox young pitching following the debut of Brian Bayo earlier this week. They've had a few other sort of prospects that have been Chewing up some innings in the first half, we'll dig into whether or not those guys could be viable contributors in some capacity over the course of the second half. And we're going to dig into the barrel rate of Wander Franco. Is that something that really changes who we think he's going to become as a player in the long run? So those topics, and I'm sure a few others along the way. And Keith, I imagine you're excited that the Futures game is just around the corner because that means the draft is just around the corner and it means that your workload changes dramatically after that point and this build up to both of these events is kind of a, a lot to have overlapping at the same time. Wait, the draft is coming up? Apparently. Jeez. I just thought they pushed it back to September at this point. Actually, I feel a little okay about it. As you know, I had Eric Logan hanging on my podcast this week, The Keith Law Show, the cleverly titled The Keith Law Show. And we were also joking about how it's kind of staring us in the face, but I feel like after two years of us not having regular cycles, right? We had the pandemic year draft and then 2021 was very much impacted by the lack of a regular summer and fall in the 12 months leading up to that draft. I felt not great about it this year. Yeah. I'm sure some team in the back of the first first round is going to shock everyone, pull some name from outside of my top 100, some, uh, Tyler Locklear type or somebody like that. But I feel prepared again, which is weird after two years of never really feeling all that prepared. But I've been through my list. I've talked to people. I got to do that again later today, back on the phone um, after a few days of doing other stuff. Uh, I've got my capsules written for my entire top 100. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm kind of ready. Now I'm ready. Like the draft, they can do the draft now. I approve. 
I do like the, I, I'm also very grateful. The draft should have, it, I mean, it should be two weeks earlier than it is, but at least it's not right after the futures game because that 24 hours last year sucked. Personally, <laughs> this is entirely about me. Uh, I got off a plane in Denver and basically, you know, dropped at the hotel, went right to the ballpark, watched the futures game, went back to the hotel to shower because I was disgusting after sitting in the sun. Um, put on nicer clothes also and walked over to the draft in the convention center because uh, the first round was that night. That was all one day. And the next morning, I had no time to recover. I'd been writing two separate pieces Sunday night. I had no time to recover and had to roll right to the next part of the draft. So at least this year, Futures game is Saturday. Draft starts Sunday. And so now I'll only be writing one thing Sunday night and could actually like, I don't know, do something else on Monday morning while we wait for rounds two through 10 to start. So if if nothing else, they've at least separated those things. So the five of us who actively cover both events can get a real night's sleep, baby. Well, I think it's also just good from a consumer perspective, right? If you yes. want to read about these events or watch oh, these yeah, events, you could you know, spread that out a little bit and have your fun over a couple of days instead of trying to cram it all into one day. Yeah. So it's pro- it, it is like, you know, prospect the Palooza, right? They're trying to, right? This is all the prospect stuff. You care about prospects. Here's the two, arguably the two biggest individual events days maybe in the prospect calendar. I mean, there are other things that matter that people care about like fall league, but that's not one day. Here are the two biggest things there in one weekend. I think that's the idea. I, I, I still think they're kind of missing the boat with the draft. Now having the draft so far after everyone stopped playing, that's no better to me. Like doing it, the idea had been floated that they would maybe even do it in Omaha and do it right as the College World Series was ending. Or I guess this year the College World Series was what, Saturday, Sunday, Monday? But it used to be pretty consistently on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday if necessary. So they could have done the draft like Sunday, Monday. Something like that mm-hmm. where, no, no, these guys are still playing. You've just watched some of these players, and now some of them are going to get drafted. I, I, I like that because also by that point, everyone else is done. All Just about all the high schools are done. All the other colleges are done. That made more sense to me. Now we have this sort of weird two-week gap, almost three-week gap between the last of these players actually playing and the draft itself. And I, I don't think that helps in terms of, you know, because we don't have the player recognition that the NBA and the NFL have that make their drafts much more like properties in their own right in terms of people actively watching because they know those players, right? If they've watched college basketball, college football, they know a huge chunk of those players. In the NBA, obviously, there's players coming in internationally. I don't know how what kind of name recognition they might have, but both those leagues are way ahead of Major League Baseball and always will be. So we have to think a little bit differently about how to market the draft, which is always going to be a little bit of a niche product, at least in comparison to these other sports. But I think it can have more of an audience and tying it more directly to something that people can watch that will have many of these players in it makes more sense to me than tying it to All-Star Weekend, which is a great time for in terms of the baseball calendar, but doesn't connect to any of these particular players. Yeah, and I feel like for the All-Star festivities, it's the time for us to focus on 
the best players in the game right now. So why take mm-hmm. attention away from them while looking toward the future? Like here, here are the best players today, and here are some of the best players five to ten years from now. Like that's just not necessary to structure it that way. Uh, but the futures game is one of those things that I think if you haven't ever watched it before, you're kind of wondering, well, what's the big deal? Why why is this the kind of thing that that you and other evaluators travel for? Why does this matter? It's a great question because it's, it, it's a, the futures game is a double-edged sword in ways, certain ways that you can very, very much overreact to what you see and honestly what performance you get in a one-game, highly artificial sample um, where nobody plays the whole game anyway. So, for example, I mean, this is a showcase game. And for folks who don't follow draft stuff, what I mean by showcase game is it's it's a uh, typically like in a high school showcase game, each pitcher will come in and throw an inning. And each hitter, they try to get it, each hitter at least one, maybe two at-bats. That's probably it. So everyone gets a quick chance to show off some skills. I mean, do stuff beforehand, like batting practice, infield, maybe a little home run derby. But that's it. You're not, it's not a real game in any sense. No one's really trying to win. And you know, people, players are able they're not their typical selves like if you tell a pitcher who's used to going 100 pitches hey you just got an inning you might only throw eight or nine pitches well of course they're going to throw harder they're not trying to pace themselves so for me after god would this be my 16th or 17th futures game i guess i've lost count at this point doesn't matter right once i got to double digits it stopped mattering but i like to I mean, to me it is more just watch what comes to me just generally rather than bearing down on, oh, here's this guy's exact velocity each time. Just what stands out? Who looks different? But looking at bodies, just general mechanics, deliveries or swings, that's more useful to me as opposed to, you know, wow, he hit that particularly hard. Oh, wow, that look at the bite on that slider. Yeah, it probably doesn't always look like that. I mean, I remember Eloy Jimenez making a great defensive play in his futures game, and he's been really bad defensively in the big leagues, like much worse than I expected. And I will say that seeing that in the futures game skewed my opinion of what he would be like on defense. How could you be that bad and make a play that involved moving that far that quickly? Well, yeah, it happens. You get outlier. It's an outlier game that's going to be full of outlier events, and it's easy to get fooled by it. Now, there are other things where I remember seeing Luke Hochaver for an inning in the Futures game and saying, yeah, that's not what that should look like. If you sort of, right, you're assuming everyone's going to show you a bit more in a one inning look. And it's like, that's pretty ordinary for a guy who's first overall pick, who's a starter, who's just throwing one inning. But rather than just use that to just, inform my entire opinion of the player. It was like, that's a note. That's just an extra point. And now let's follow up on this. Either I see the player in his natural environment or in most cases, talk to folks who've seen these players a lot more to you know real professional scouts for other teams and say, here's what I saw. What have you seen when you've seen him in other places when pitching or hitting in a regular game environment when they're playing the entire game and somebody's actually trying to win? Yeah, I think for a lot of players that you're going to see in this game, for someone like you, it's a follow-up, maybe it's a check-in on players you've seen before. There might be a handful mm-hmm. of players that just because of where they've played, logistics, you haven't seen them yet, so you get to check yeah. a few more names off the checklist and then decide if you're going to dig in some more. 
that's a big thing for me is a lot of times it's it's the still the only place I've ever seen Jason Dominguez in person because he's mostly played in um, the Florida State League. And I just don't go down. That's a, that's a bad environment for scouting to begin with. And it's not close to me. I would be flying to say I could do it at some point, but I don't like seeing players in that league. I have seen one or two games in that league ever. It's a, it's not a good scouting environment. There's no fans. It's humid as hell. The ball doesn't travel the same way. I, I would, Dominguez is going to get up to Hudson Valley in, and, um, what's their double A club? Somerset, right? I will have plenty of times to see this player. But it's real, it was really nice to get just one quick look and be like, Hey, they call him the Martian. What does that look like? <laughs> yeah. Jason Dominguez, not just a hologram. He is a real player. Right. Showing some yeah. power, showing some speed this year currently at low A. And 30% better than league average as a hitter, even though for some people that's not good enough. It will never be, right? There were people who were like, he's a top 10 prospect in baseball. It's like, slow, slow down. <laughs> the poor kid was, I mean, his situation, right? He's 16 with all the hype in the world and then doesn't get to play for almost 24 months from signing to first professional game because of the pandemic. And then the loss of short season baseball, I swear I'm going to make us bring this up every podcast from now until the end of time. But the fact that he didn't ha- – right, the- he would have been the perfect player to go to Staten Island um, when that club still existed. Uh, something in between the Florida Man League and the complexes and full season low A. He was 18 with no experience, but – they decided, and I don't disagree, he was probably too advanced for the complex league. So they had no other choice. There's no place else to send him at that point. They sent him to low A. Maybe they were trying to challenge him a little bit. And he was not great. He was fine, especially for an 18-year-old with no experience. But he wasn't the Martian. He wasn't the guy that people wanted him to be. That would have been a perfect player to go to the old the, – You know, we used to have two levels of short season between the complex league and low A. I, I still believe we should have one level in between – and maybe it's just for teams that want to do it. If other teams want to be cheap and not have that club, fine. But everyone who wants to have an extra affiliate between those two should have the right to do so. And I guarantee you the Yankees would do it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few things there. One, Staten Island to me was an underrated place to watch a game. It had an yeah, amazing view. One of the best oh, views yeah. that I've ever seen at a ballpark. Yep. Underrated in that regard. It's a shame that it's not part of the well, league's gone, but it's just it's not really part of baseball the same way anymore. And I start to think about the timing of when these players are drafted. Now, with the draft being pushed back, there's even less runway once a contract is signed for a player to begin his professional Mm -hmm. career before the end of the season. That seems to be a little more of a problem, right? We've lost almost a a month in terms of the amount of window you have to sign and go play in the same season. So that's another Mm -hmm. downside to the way things are, are going right now. But as far as this Futures game goes this year, Players on the roster that we know of so far, this is as of Thursday morning, I'm sure eight more will come tumbling out of Twitter at some point in the next few hours. Curtis Mead <laughs> from the Rays organization, Jack Leiter, Kai Bush from the Angels, Corbin Carroll, Yuri Perez, Robert Hassel, Kyle Harrison, uh, and Sedan Rafaela from the Red Sox organization. I think of those names, Rafaela was the one that was like, oh, what's this player all about? So... I'm curious if you've seen Raffaello before and why he might be playing in this showcase game. Yeah, I actually saw him against Kyle Harrison. He's, he's a good prospect. He's one of these things is not like the others, right? That is <laughs> him. He's having a great season. He's very undersized. 
Um, he is – Marcelo Mayer should be in that spot. He was the fourth overall pick in last year's draft. He is the Red Sox top prospect. He's a top, probably a top 10 prospect in all of baseball if you consider all the graduations at this point. He should be there. Uh, Rafaela is in double A. Mayer is in low A. And I think that was the difference here. Um, it's not to say that Rafael is totally undeserving. He's having a great year. He's a pretty interesting prospect. I think he's probably going to end up playing center field because he can really run. I got him on the worst possible day. Like you should probably never, ever have your first look at a hitter, at a hitting prospect be against Kyle Harrison, who struck him out three times and just could kind of like have his way with him. Anything Harrison threw, Rafael was like, what the hell is going on here? Um, even with the platoon advantage, which was kind of interesting, but I also get it. Harrison's tough to see. Most like you just don't see a lot of pitching prospects with Harrison's stuff plus a delivery like that. Um, and for folks who subscribe to the athletic, I had a post that was mostly about Harrison, but where I did have a note on Rafaela that was a week and a half ago or so that that went up. Um, you know, Rafaela is probably, uh, you know, I, he's got to spend the rest of the year at double A. They've moved him. You know, aggressively because he was performing so much. I really want to see now that he's going to spend some time in AAA too. I uh, sorry in AA, he's going to see a lot more pitchers who can locate their off-speed stuff and see what he does with that and what adjustments he makes. He's shown he can make adjustments so far. Um, I'm less worried about the position he's played all over, but I think he's fast enough and athletic enough. I don't really have an issue assuming he's going to play center field until proven otherwise. I'm assuming he's going to be a center fielder. Um, and they may just continue to try him in the infield, just to try to get some versatility. The one other thing I'll say too, and is I know that the folks who select the futures game rosters, even though it's no longer U.S. versus world, they do try to get as many countries represented as possible. And he's from Curacao, and I think he's probably going to be the only player from Curacao or the Netherlands Antilles in general in the game this year. He's certainly the best prospect right now I can think of who's from there. Yeah, definitely, it seems to be a push to make it a global showcase. As they should. I'm I'm fine with that. Especially, I will always say too, if we get a random prospect from a country that's not been represented before, yes, absolutely. Like Neveroskis, I think, didn't he appear in that game at one point? Yeah. He's from Lithuania. Mm-hmm. He's fine. He was just an up and down reliever prospect, good arm. But yes, yes, put the Lithuanian kid in the futures game. I am fine with that. Have you seen Yuri Perez before? I still have not. So I'm looking forward to this, right? This is exactly what you were talking about. This isn't a real scouting look, but it is a quick chance to see a body, a delivery, something of his stuff, but I have to mentally just sort of regress it backwards and say it's not always going to look like this. But I mean, I've gotten incredible reports on this guy for a year plus at this point. So I'm sure he's legit. There is just a higher confidence level, even if I'm just seeing one inning from a guy just to be like oh, okay i have a mental picture now it's it, it's always better in 3d than it is on video i can watch all the video i want there's no substitute for seeing a guy in person at some point point. and now as he moves up to i'll make more of an effort to go see him in person yeah if you don't know who yuri perez is he's a 19 year old pitching at double a in the marlins organization right now he's also six eight and he has yes. four pitches and he can command them so he's come really quick it's probably a case where he's going to debut early in 2023 and he could be the Marlins best starter the day he shows up which is not (laughs) a slight at anyone else like that's the crazy ceiling he has I'm probably putting a little too much on him I just made maybe too soon but he he has that ceiling I just feel like what we've seen from so many 
position players and pitchers. And you and I've talked about this. That last jump to the majors is a mother hecker. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew neck t-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra-soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. It seems like it's getting worse. And I yeah. think there's a, a related sort of topic here. I was looking at the Red Sox recent debuts, relatively recent debuts. They've had a lot of injuries in their rotation. And we kind of knew they had this high risk group of pitchers coming into the season. The good news for them, Chris Sale might be back after the weekend. Nathan Evaldi might be back fairly soon. James Paxton's even throwing bullpens. People kind of forget he's there. He could be Who? back in mid-August. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Never heard of him. Maybe you get something from Paxton. Is the guy from Independence Day? (laughs) Who is the guy from Independence Day? I haven't seen that movie in a long time. Did you watch that this year? No, I've never seen that movie. Uh, Eno said he watched the sequel. I didn't know there was a sequel. ID 5? ID 2? Neither of those works. (laughs) I don't know. No. You know what the last movie I watched was? The final episode of Stranger Things. Oh, okay. Which was two and a quarter hours. It was awesome, though. It was great, but that's a movie. It's it a is movie. no longer a TV show at that point. That's a movie. They should just put it in theaters and just go get an Oscar for best metal scene in a movie this year. I have not started Stranger Things. It is on the radar. It's probably an off-season show that I'll get into. I really enjoy it. I am also, I'm 49. I am very much in the demographic for the nostalgia part of that show. It's set in, for folks who've never seen it, it's set in the 80s. And so I'm the guy who's like, I remember this song. Oh, like, oh my God, that hair. Oh, those clothes. Wait, that song came out in this year and they're set in this other year and they can't do that. And my daughter is like, shut up, dad. But yeah, but, but there is a very pivotal scene in the final episode that includes one of the best metal songs ever recorded that came out, I think, exactly in the year in which that's set. It was within months like it was everything about it was perfect and also they got the timing right which because that's my era like my formative years as a music fan were like 82 to 87 or so so and that's basically where the series has been set 
so far. So that's like right in my veins. See, if they have more seasons and they get into the 90s, then they'll pull me in. They said the last one's the next, the last season. So sorry. Sorry for you youths. I'll still enjoy it. But so Brian Bayo debuted this week. And I think of mm-hmm. all the young pitchers the Red Sox have turned to at some point this season, he's easily the most interesting. He's the most highly rated in your uh, Red Sox prospect piece back from February, March. I forget when exactly those launched. Back in the lockout times when those yes. pieces were coming out. Yep. So Bayo just debuted this week. What does he bring and, and how do you think they will use him throughout the second half? I mean, if the needs in the rotation change, do you think he's far enough along in his development where they could use him as a multi-inning reliever and help maybe bolster up that group of, of bullpen arms? Yeah, my thought was this was just a spot start for now. And I guess if he'd come up and been utterly dominant, maybe that they would have changed changed the plans around him. But my assumption was this was not this was never in the plans for him to be a permanent part of the rotation this year. A lot had to go wrong for them to get to this point. I think the idea all along was, and, and I mean, they, they agreed. I had him as their best pitching prospect. I believe they had him as their, you know, if you ask them internally, same thing. Uh, but it was that he's not ready. It's just all hell broke loose and he was looking really good. And therefore they just called him up at least for a spot start. What I think is just going to be a spot start for now. Um, because it's more stuff right now than just general feel for pitching. But he's been up to 100. It's generally a, a plus velocity. He's got four pitches. He's got a the slider, I think, is going to end up being the real out pitch for him. And it looked pretty good in, you know, we through, well, we had a handful of innings in that big league debut. But you could see it. You could see the break. It had a pretty good spin rate on it. Um, there's... I've always had a little bit of a reliever concern with him. Not a ton, not as much as like Brian Mata, who's now coming back from Tommy John anyway, but a guy who I was like, that's a reliever. That, that, the big difference in the deliveries there with Bello or Bayo, it's, it's pretty close, but I would, I lean towards starter, especially because he does have the more complete mix. I think he's got enough to, um, he's not had a substantial platoon split for most of his career so far. That always helps a guy, helps me believe that a guy's got a chance to remain a starter over the long term. He's just got to work on its you know, g- general command, which is, you could say that about just about every pitcher, pitching prospect in the minors. And he's a guy who's, he can get a lot of hitters out, even in double A, say, with pure stuff. And that is, that just generally doesn't work in the big leagues. I mean, this came up as a draft thing. Everyone, a lot of people are enamored with this kid at Tennessee, Ben Joyce, who's a reliever who throws 105. Yeah, he'll miss some bats in the big leagues throwing 105. But you know what? He's going to throw some at 102. And as ridiculous as it sounds, big league hitters can turn that around, especially if you can't locate it or don't have enough other stuff to get guys off your fastball. And, you know, I think in Bayo's case, that's going to be the big developmental step is, you know, he's got good results in double A and triple A, but you can, I think, see little reasons to say, yeah, this guy probably needs more time. Maybe it's more turns in triple A. And I did just pull it up. He's actually for the first time got some platoon split this year. All of the home runs he gave up in the minors this year were to, um, were to left-handed batters, which is interesting. All six, um, he had not shown that before this year. Maybe he needs more turns in AAA. Maybe they could bring him up and use him as a long man and say, we're just going to have you do 
like mop up work, soak up some innings, not use a position player to pitch. That'd be great. That'd be cool. Right? Like, this is I, now I'm like turning into an old man on this rant because I've been arguing for this for a long time because this is an Earl Weaver thing from the 70s. I didn't make this up, but the idea of breaking in young pitchers, young starters, not as starters, but in long relief where you can say, hey, we're, this is just you getting some work in and developing. We're losing nine to two. If you give up three runs in two innings, we don't care. This is part of your development. And yeah, maybe that's the thing for Bayo. This is a not less specific comment. I'm getting away from Bayo because other than what we saw in the big league outing, I have not seen him in person this year. So, but for someone like that who's got questions about fastball command, and hey, maybe there is a platoon issue to be concerned about. It's a small sample, but you know, six home runs all to left-handed batters, zero to right-handed batters, that might be meaningful. You can work that and say, hey, we're losing here. Three of the next four batters are left-handed. Bring Bayo in. Here's your challenge. How are you going to get these guys out? That, that would be a great way to try to continue to develop him when, if he goes back to AAA, for example, yeah, he'll face plenty of left-handed batters and have to get them out, but he's going to just carve right through the right-handed batters and maybe not learn enough. Again, this is a bit of a non-specific comment because I don't I don't know enough about Bayo, especially about what the Red Sox are doing with him. Pitchers in that general situation, though, I would be very much in favor of us seeing more of them in the big leagues. Like maybe... I just made this up, but with all the tweaking about roster sizes, you know, everyone wants to expand the roster so we can have more pitchers, which just leads to more pitchers throwing one inning at a time and throwing harder and fewer balls put into play. And that's definitely like the unintended consequences of expanding the rosters. But maybe there's some like, hey, you can have a, you know, a specific spot that's for a rookie pitcher who's that's your like designated mop up guy or something. Maybe this is too specific. <laughs> Anything to not have three position players pitching in the majors every single night. That stuff was cool ten years ago. I'm over it. I think after what I saw the Yankees do to Josh Van Meter on Wednesday, I think yeah. I'd like to just move away from position players pitching as long as we can. It's it's lost the novelty. The uh, other Red Sox prospects, air quotes in some cases, Connor Siebel, Josh Winkowski, been picking up some innings. I think. Seabolt had this weird outing against the Blue Jays. This would have been June 27th. He had 21 swings and misses, mm -hmm. but they got to him. I think it yeah. was a big meltdown late in that outing. It was seven earned runs on nine hits over four and two thirds. Struck out seven, walked one. Um, kind of a Mitch Keller vibe with that line, actually. What <laughs> What is going on with Connor Seabolt? Is he actually someone who can be a future starter or is he miscast right now in the role? I have always thought he's a reliever. I've seen him. Back. He was a Phillies prospect. Um, he's the, the, the Heath Hembry trade where he ended up going to Boston. I think, I think that's, that's right. the only trade they've made recently. I yes. I mean, he was a third rounder. Um, as he was the, the idea, especially at the time, was polished, you know, low ceiling, but polished college starter who, if he stays in that role, um, shows enough. And he's a four pitch guy, um, would actually use a changeup pretty heavily. So there was more reason to believe he could stay a starter. That he would, um, you know, maybe move fairly quickly through the minor leagues and, um, low ceiling, you know, fourth, fifth starter type, but there's value in that, especially in the third round. If you get a guy where you feel like it's a pretty good probability he's a major league starter, even a back end one, those guys are worth a lot of money. That's actually a pretty good outcome. And I think Seabold probably, you know, fifth starter, swing man, I lean more towards there's probably not really enough there to get to limit hard contact. I'm, I was shocked. I saw Alex Spears was tweeting about the, all the swings and misses. 
And then I look, and he's also getting smoked, Seabolt, not Alex. And it's like, well, that doesn't add up at all. You know, swings and misses are great, but apparently they're not everything. Who knew? I don't even think that the stuff really supports that swing and that kind of swing and miss rate over the long term. But if it's close, could he be a fifth starter slash swingman, sixth starter type? Yeah, that's probably about it. That's what I think he is. Winkowski to me is a little bit more interesting uh, just because he's kind of outpitched expectations, mostly because it's command and control thing. And again, you know, I sort of go the other way where his can, can Connor Seawold give some of his swinging strikes to Winkowski? Then we might really have some. Then we might have two, two somethings. But I, I'm definitely keeping more of an eye on him. I had heard Winkowski had more stuff this spring too. He was throwing a bit harder because I don't think he was even on my top 20 coming into the season because he was just a relief prospect. That's really all he was. With a bit more stuff, a bit more velocity, that makes him more interesting. Now there's a chance he could be at worst a better relief prospect, but I think a chance to be another one of these fifth starter types. You know, that's Honestly, that's what the Red Sox have a lot of right now is these fifth starter type of prospects. Brandon Walters kicking around. That's probably where he is. It's a, it's more of a reliever's delivery, despite the fact that he's huge. But if he, his two best pitches, could he go through a lineup twice maybe as a fifth starter? Yeah, he could do that. Bayo is the different is the one who's really different. He's got a chance to be quite a bit more. Otherwise, what they could, what the Red Sox could do is cycle a bunch of these fifth starter ish prospects through the last spot or two in the rotation as they wait for these other guys to get healthy. That sounds kind of familiar. Kind of sounds like something Kyan Bloom uh, was a part of in Tampa Bay, right? Go figure. But I think with both Winkowski and Seabold, you look at the AAA numbers and they're really good. Great ratio, really good. strikeout per inning stuff, and it it comes back to the. Is AAA still flawed, as possibly as flawed as it was last season as a level where the performances we saw there, I think with the concern last year was more on the hitting side mm-hmm. because so many of the pitchers that would have been there weren't actually there. But I'm at the point now where I'm wondering if we could trust anything we see at the AAA level, just given some of the strange performances we've seen really on both sides, not just these particular pitchers who are not necessarily bad, but some of the hitters that have torn up that level. We talked about Alec Burleson just a little bit at the end of last week's show, the outfielder in the Cardinals system. Will Benson, who sort of came up in passing on the Keith Law show, Mm -hmm. the Guardians outfielder, former first rounder, he appears to be putting everything together on paper. The plate discipline looks good. The power's there. The speed's there. We haven't really seen that from him before. Uh, Estevan Florial, the outfielder in the Yankees system that people were excited about a few years ago, he's having a great year at AAA. How do you feel about this level in general right now, given some of the performances we've seen now going back through last season? Yeah, it's, I mean, you picked three of the main names where I'm thinking, did these guys all figure it out at once at the same time? Or is something really different in AAA? Are the baseballs different? That was the case last year, right? Where they were using a different baseball in AAA in the majors than they were in AA and below. Uh, that would be my first inclination. It seems really strange that all of these guys who had pretty big swing and miss issues and a lot of pitch recognition issues are suddenly figuring it out at once in AAA, which makes me say... I mean, yeah, players change, right? Any individual player, if you said to me, hey, Will Benson figured it out this year, in the absence of any other information, I'd say, okay, sure. He just His was actually probably less pitch recognition and more just that poor kid was just could not get to a consistent swing that seemed to work for him. Super bright kid, 
I think he was a Duke commit out of high school. Everyone loved the makeup and great athlete. And he was the kid where he walks up to the on-deck circle and you're like, whoa, who is that? And then he starts, then he gets in the batter's box, takes a swing. You're like, oh, 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 make it stop. I mean, he just could not get anywhere consistent. If you told me that guy started to figure it out, I'd say, oh, yeah, sure. Bet on the athletes, right? Took a long time, six years, seventh year, technically, if you count that first summer in pro ball. But athletic kid with great makeup, sure, those guys do figure it out sometimes. And Cleveland's got a hell of a track record in player development so far. We talked probably, Eric and I talked about the pitching side. They've done some pretty good things on the hitting side too. I wouldn't just discard that just because they have so much success on the pitching side. But when it's Benson and Florial and Burleson, and I, there was one other one I noticed recently where it's like the same thing. It was like, he was not good in double A and suddenly he's way better in triple A. Just makes me wonder, is there something systemic going on here that we need to take into account? Doesn't mean these guys aren't good, right? But do we have to sort of regress back what we're thinking about these players? Because a bunch of them are taking steps forward. And if it is the different baseball that, for example, you're breaking stuff isn't breaking the same way, spinning the same way. We just need to know that to properly evaluate some of these players who look like they are superficially at least taking big steps forward in AAA. Yeah, it just left me at a point where I'm very skeptical of AAA performances in general. We've got a guy, Jared Kelnick, is back at AAA right now. He's been there for 37 games this year, so he's actually spent a little more time in Tacoma this year than he did last year in a couple of stints. The line looks good. It's a 289, 339, 547 line, which for Tacoma is not quite as eye-popping as it might seem on the surface. Eight homers, three for three as a base dealer, but he's got a 28.1% K rate. He's Mm -hmm. still striking out a lot, and that is a problem if we're looking at this level as one that's just not what it used to be. If you strike out... 28% 28% of the time at AAA, you're going to strike out 35% of the time in the big leagues, given the difference in the quality of the pitching, right? I mean, is it possible, though, that when we're talking about Kelnick, what he's trying to do is just earn a return to Seattle on every single swing, and he's basically giving up plate discipline in the process while trying to just hit rockets all the time? I mean, that's my guess. And if you watch some of the highlights, too, it kind of looks like it. He's also had some swings, too, where he's looks like the Jared Kelenic who was a top 10 prospect in all of baseball, um, where he's staying back on the ball better and trying to use the whole field. That guy's still in there. It is like, I don't think he's suddenly forgotten how to make consistent contact, but I think he has also pretty clearly changed parts of his approach where he is now, for lack of a better term, accepting more swing and miss in his game to try to get more results on balls in play. I don't think that's going to serve him well in the long term. And I don't know what there is. Seattle, he's also been hurt right a hamstring thing a couple weeks ago. So there was, you know, there. I think there may have been an opportunity to call him up recently when they just ended up not doing it. That could have also been the injury rather than the performance. But if you're Seattle, you're how could you possibly say to that player, yeah, we're going to call you back up when you're doing more of the thing that, led us to demote you in the first place. And Kalanick has a reputation for being pretty hard on himself as a player. And if he is, you know, on the one hand, I guess maybe if he's striking out at a higher rate and he's learning to accept it, that's good exposure therapy for him. On the other hand, it's the one thing you would really like to see him cut down on. He's facing AAA pitching, which as we just talked about, lots of hitters have actually cut their strikeout rate going from AA to AAA. Now he's coming down. 
But for a guy who just faced a bunch of major league pitchers, AAA pitching should look easier. You would expect a big drop in the strikeout rate for somebody who's been demoted. The weather doesn't matter where. Anywhere in the minors, you move down a level, you should perform better because you're suddenly facing much weaker weaker um, competition than what you've been facing before. So I'm still a Kalanick believer in the long term. The tools are there across the board, and he does have the history of performance really up until he got to the major leagues. However, I, I don't love what I'm seeing right now. I thought he'd go down to AAA and mash. And then we'd just say, yeah, okay, but can he replicate this in the big leagues? Now going down to AAA and performing on contact, but but swinging and missing like this, striking out at this rate, I should say, it's not great. It's certainly not what you want to see. That being said, if he turned it around for a month and got the K rate down and kept hitting the way he's hitting right now, I could see that being enough to quickly put him back on the big league roster. I mean, the long-term decision they could make with him with the trade deadline approaching is, hey, we've got Julio Rodriguez. We had a superstar who can play center field. We made the trade to get Jesse Winker. Taylor mm-hmm. Trammell is good enough to be an everyday player. I don't have any issue with that. I mean, if, if you use him as a fourth outfielder and play him more than a typical fourth outfielder, that can work too. They have an option. They actually could trade Jared Kelnick if there are still teams interested in trading for him. And based oh, on what you said, be. you'd still be interested in, in trading for him if you were a team looking for young outfield help. Yep, absolutely. 100%. I think, still think he'd have pretty significant trade value. I think a lot of teams would be very interested in, um, you know, see him as a buy low candidate. And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe Seattle ends up trading him for, you know, 80 cents on the dollar, so to speak. But I think you're not giving this guy away. I'm sure a lot of teams, you know, the Pittsburghs of the world, the teams that are just not contending right now, actually, God, Pittsburgh has an outfielder of their own. They've potentially trade. I don't know. That's really a fit for Seattle, but a team like that, that can just say to Kalanick, you're coming up and you're playing the rest of the year. Don't worry about it. You don't have to, you don't have to fight to keep your spot. You're, you're, this is a long-term thing. This job is yours. Just, just go play. That may be the best thing for him too. I don't know. I'm projecting a little bit on, um, you know, maybe overthinking, you know, is this a pressure situation for Kalanick where he's, again, he's just trying to mash his way back to the big leagues. He was trying too hard in the big leagues. I don't, I don't know. But to take a player like that, like I think this is a traditional thing. You take a player like that who scuffled a little bit in first big league exposure, especially last year, they were very much in a pennant race. Send him to a place where there's no pressure for a year or two. Sure. Could absolutely see that. And, and I don't think, I wouldn't criticize Seattle for doing it because as you said, Julio Rodriguez is a legit center fielder, a really good center fielder. I, we talked about, I don't know if it was us or we talked somewhere. We were recently talking about Julio Rodriguez can really freaking run. Yeah. I don't know how a man that big moves that fast. Him and O'Neill Cruz should have a race. Superstar. Julio Rodriguez yeah. trending it's towards a superstar. superstar. Oh, yeah, it's, absolutely. And it's really fun to watch. You go back to my preseason top 10 or 11 or so. I forget where Cartaya was exactly, but there's like, six guys in there who seem like they're on track towards superstardom. That's pretty good, actually. The top, Not for me. I'm not talking about my list. I'm saying the group of prospects. Good job, Keith. No, that this group of prospects, a bunch of these guys are already heading towards superstardom. And there's still guys like Francisco Alvarez and Diego Cartaya who are in that group who are hitting in the minors like future superstars as well. So we may have, this was one hell of a crop of prospects this year. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, Nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. Here's a question that's been bouncing around. You brought up Francisco Alvarez. He's up at AAA now. Again, mm-hmm. what what is he really going to learn there, given the limitations of the level? But the Mets offense, Tim Britton wrote about this a week ago, it's a good offense that doesn't hit home runs. Francisco Alvarez should hit home runs, and catcher is one of the spots in that lineup they could pretty easily get an offensive upgrade if they were to bring him up. Yep. Do you think Francisco Alvarez comes up and plays a significant role for the Mets at some point in the second half and possibly into the postseason? Uh, everything I've heard about him, I haven't seen him this year. I saw him last year. I've talked to scouts who've seen him this year. Everyone thinks he's going to hit. Like the bat is absolutely real, but that the catching is not great. Nobody, th- I'm not hearing, oh, he can't catch. It's more like it's, he's going to be an offensive catcher. That's not the guy you. I think you bring up in a pennant race, especially when you hope your pitching staff has DeGrom and Scherzer. I mean, they got stuff guys in that rotation too. And you take, you know, I've seen Alvarez. I think he can stay as a catcher, but there's going to be some, there's some work to do back there, even on some of the routine stuff. Um, you don't bring him up to catch a rotation with some guys who have premium stuff and stuff that moves a lot. Um, you know, also Scherzer might just tear him to pieces. You never know if he, <laughs> I love how we t- we all talk about Max Scherzer like he's some kind of monster, and then you read like all the stuff he did for the guys when he was on rehab, where he bought them all. Right? Didn't he buy them a meal and bought everybody AirPods and all this stuff? Like, obviously, he's a great guy, but because of the way he pitches, we assume he is some kind of like mass murderer on the mound or something. It's cr- it's it's it is kind of funny to me because this is clearly not who he actually is. He might be the guy who takes Alvarez aside and says, "Hey, let's work on some stuff," but. We've sort of got this idea of Scherzer as like, no, I'm going to rip your head off type of guy. When you're watching players either in person or on TV and you see and even hear sometimes, you, you hear things watching baseball games. The Jared Kelnick example would be, I've heard multiple F-bombs on the feed yes. watching him after a strikeout. I'm like, okay, he this needs guy. needs a seven-second tape delay. This guy's tightly wound, and it's okay. It's, it's The competitive drive gets you there. Being intense gets you to the big leagues in the first place, but is 
they're a way to see things like that, reactions like that, and say that might be a little bit of a concern. Like it's, this guy's dealing with failure and not handling it particularly well, or is it just some people wear their emotions on their sleeves and other people walk back to the dugout quietly, basically screaming in their own head, and you just can't see it or hear it on their face? Yeah, that's. I worry a little bit about drawing too much of a conclusion from what we see like that, but it's it. But it's not nothing, right? Being being a little tightly wound, it, it can cut both ways, right? It can make you be more competitive and more being a little hard on yourself can be a good thing because it drives you to keep improving and keep developing. Being hard on yourself to the point where it gets in the way of your performance or your way, way of your ability to just make adjustments is not a good thing. And so it, I just get a little wary of drawing too much of a conclusion this is a bit of a narrative we're constructing around Kalanick. That might be true. Is he so hard on himself that it is preventing him from improving slash making adjustments in the big leagues especially? I would say that's possible. That's something we should consider going forward. I don't know for sure if that's true, but that's something I would keep in mind. Um, did I answer the Alvarez question? I don't think we see him catching significant games in the big leagues. That was my answer. And then we kind of ended up, I, I drove us off the road there. Uh, maybe universal DH ends up being the kind of thing that lets him get some plate appearances. Right, because the, the bat could help. Yeah, that could be one way they do it. He could really hit. Really I hit. also think it'd be surprising if the Mets didn't add something to the offensive position player group at the mm-hmm. trade deadline. I don't know if it's going to be a big player or if it's just going to be another role player to give more depth, but I would be really surprised if they only added to the bullpen or only added some rotation depth, some insurance behind Scherzer and DeGrom in case injuries happen to strike uh, one of those guys again. Uh, one more player I want to talk about today is Wander Franco. Always mm-hmm. interesting, always fun to talk about, fun to watch. And we're 126 games into his big league career. Still talking about a guy who turned 21 back in March. So, yeah, could be playing at high A right now, and it wouldn't be a problem if he were a normal 21-year-old, but he's Wander. So we have to put him under the microscope. And <laughs> so far, 11.3% for the K rate. Really good K rate for a player this young. 12 homers, 7 steals combined over the last two seasons. A 4.7% barrel rate, though. And barrel rate's not everything, but barrel rate is important. It's hitting the ball hard at the right angles. And for a guy that projects to be an eventual star, feel like you need to see more. But at the same time, we wouldn't really know what his barrel rate was if he were in a normal situation. If he were in high A or double A, we wouldn't have access to it publicly to look at it and scrutinize it. So is this a big deal or is this just the kind of thing that it's a young player finding his way, and given the age, it's much too early to even look at this as, as anything more than a footnote in who Wander Franco currently is as a player. Yeah, and I think part of the issue is that he's not hitting the ball quite enough in the air, rather than like, he's hitting plenty of balls hard. Yeah. He's not getting into so for, I, I I don't want to assume everyone knows what a barrel is, but it is a there's a specific definition from MLB, which is basically balls that are hit with a certain combination of exit velocity and launch angles, the angle at which the ball leaves the bat, that is very likely to produce, uh, it really it's extra base hits or really, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's very high quality contact that produces overall, it's this some slugging percentage or um, threshold that it has to pass. So basically if you get a barrel, you've probably hit a double or more 
pretty good chance. That's probably, a, I think, I hope, a decent lay explanation of what it is without getting into the specific criteria. Um, and, you know, so it's some common, there's no perfect, right? You can, there's a range of launch angle. The harder you hit the ball, the more tolerance there is on what the launch angle can be to still qualify as a barrel. He's hitting the ball hard. His high-end exit velocities are up there. And his average exit velocity is not that far. It's a little bit below the major league median. For 21-year-old, it's probably okay. But his max exit velocities are up there. And he's doing that enough that I think he can... Yeah, I think that's not really the concern. I think a little bit of it is his swing can just be a little bit flat or has been a little bit flat. And so he is often falling short of, of course, I'm demonstrating with my hand is really useful on a podcast. (laughs) I think he's falling below the launch angle range, the sort of cone of acceptable launch angles. That worries me less just from talking to people around the game, especially people on the player development side who kind of consistently have said to me, that's something we can work on. It's much easier to get a guy to hit the ball in the air a little more than it is to get him to hit the ball hard. And so that I'm much less worried as opposed to if Franco say it was the opposite, consistently hitting with the right angle, but not hitting the ball hard enough. Yeah, he's only 21, but you should be doing it some of the time. Yeah, looking at the max exit velocity leaderboards, the raw power, which is it's a good indicator of like the hardest you can hit a ball yeah. right now. Wanders at 112.4, which means nothing by itself. But with context, Manny Machado has a max exit velocity this season that is exactly the same. Paul Goldschmidt within one-tenth of a mile per hour. Freddie Freeman sitting right there. Those guys have plenty of power. The difference Mm -hmm. between Wander and those players is the average launch angle. You can see it on the same leaderboard. Wander's at a 6.6 degree average launch angle. All Mm -hmm. those other players are in double digits. Freeman's at 14.1. Goldschmidt's at 16.7. Machado's at 15.1, just for the extra context. So... I think it's really interesting that I would agree with this just from, from a logical perspective. It makes more sense to me that it's easier to change your launch angle than it is to hit the ball harder because hitting the ball hard, I think, is the function of mainly two things, your actual physical strength, which generates your bat speed, but then the precision of where you hit the ball. Yeah, got to square it up. There's a, a hit tool aspect of power, and I think Wander pretty clearly has that. A player this young doesn't hit the ball this often and have this many batted balls over 95 plus he's in the 37 38 range for his hard hit rate you don't do that if you don't have the ability to square the ball up that just doesn't happen by accident mm-hmm. so it's just a question of when how long is it going to take it takes every player a different amount of time to make adjustments like this but if you told me today that wander franco in 2024 is going to pop 30 home runs i'm not going to argue against you even though it's hard to see it right now I think he shows all the traits you would look for in a player that can make the adjustments and get to that level. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I will throw out pure speculation, but also is could this be an example of a very talented hitter who is saying, I'm going to focus on contact and who is just, because this is not a huge difference either in launch. It's not like he's pounding the ball into the ground or hitting it consistently too high. He's just a little bit below that ideal range. Is this a, I'm, I'm going to be just a line drive hitter right now, get, put the ball in play a lot, get my results that way. And you know, every once in a while gets into one, you know, okay, now I get my pitch, I get into the proper count. I wouldn't say that for every hitter. I would not say that probably for a lot of hitters. I happen to believe Franco is that good of a hitter, that instinctive of a hitter. 
that I think he could make that adjustment. If that turned out to be the explanation, which we'll really only know over the course of time too, if we start to see that the, the launch angle kind of creep up as he gets a little older, a little stronger, a little more experienced. But if it turned out that was the explanation, that would that would fit. I wouldn't say that for a lot of guys, but Franco has always been that kind of like really exceptional hitter in terms of pitch recognition, understanding of the count, his just general approach to at-bats, and I think his ability to kind of manipulate the barrel a little bit to um, to get good quality contact. I, that wouldn't shock me if that's where we turned out to be. I, I think you're, the thing you said at the top of this little segment here was spot on. This is a 21-year-old. He's younger than some guys who are going to be drafted in two weeks out of college. We yeah. wouldn't even have this data on him if he wasn't so exceptional. Um, and so you, if anyone is worried about Wander Franco, I don't know that anybody actively is. It's probably somebody out there because there always is. Uh, it, it, like, hang in there. I, I don't know anybody who thinks Wander Franco is going to be anything other than a superstar. If there, if there is somebody who exists out there, they're staying very, very quiet. I mean, like people in the industry, not, not like, not like, you know, Johnny Bunch of numbers on Twitter. Johnny Bunch of numbers, good friend of Frankie Bag of Donuts. Yes. Wander, I mean, for a 21 year old, he's got a $182 million contract. Major league teams don't give players that young that much money, like ever. I tend, I'm not an appeal to authority sort of guy, but this is just like, I don't think a very, smart team makes that commitment if they don't think that he's going to be worth double or triple that over the life of the contract. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to do that. They had him under club control for five more years when he got that deal. Yeah. I I mean, look, every club, even the smartest clubs have made mistakes. I, I agree with you. I would be willing to give the Rays more benefit of the doubt. And also, by the way, if this is what Wander Franco turns out to be forever, it's probably still a good contract for the team. Yeah. Yeah, three, four win player yeah. year yeah. over year. Good defense up the middle. Yeah, that'll play. That'll play. He's got two swings too, Keith. He's a switch hitter. Like that's the other yeah. thing that could make this take a little longer. You got to yes. adjust from both sides. They signed that contract hoping this guy was going to be a seven, eight win player for a few years. I still think he'll get there. I think that's a very reasonable place to be, even with the barrel rate where it is right now. We need to go. Before we go, I will let you know you can get a subscription to The Athletic for $1 a month for the first six months. Get that deal while you still can. That'll get you everything that Keith is going to write about the MLB draft, stuff that was written already. All of our coverage for all the major sports, of course, if you're an NBA fan, free agency, uh, that's underway, of course. There's hockey draft happening right now. We're covering all of it. One little price, $1 a month for the first six months. Athletic.com slash baseball show. On Twitter, Keith is at Keith Law. I am at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Monday. Have a great weekend.